Good evening. Hello. Welcome to the Castro Files. Welcome back. Yes. Unless it's your first time. If it's your first time, you're in for a couple creepy stories tonight. Tonight, yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. These are so good. these are some good ones. So I'm Greg Lamontagne. This is Beth Lamontagne. How also, you doing? Beth Castro. Beth Castro Lamontagne. from the Castro Finds Files. Yes. Castro Lamontagne. Absolutely. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. We appreciate you coming and hanging out. Um, first things first, post these out generally on Sunday evenings. I think we're going to switch to Sunday evenings versus Sunday mornings. Okay. We're getting into the Halloween time. I'm oh, like, yeah. it gets a little spooky. You're, you're tired of watching football, perhaps. You've watched football all day. Now you need something to, else to do while you watch yeah, football? Yeah, something to get your anxiety up about right go. before you go to bed. So right. that's good. Yeah, Tonight's absolutely. are going to be good. <laughs> yeah, so these are going to be good ones. So I've got one on a furniture item that... Hopefully you don't have lying around your house and specifically this one. I know you don't have this one, but there are items that you could accidentally pick up in an antique shop. Yes. Unintentionally. We've talked about these in the past, right? Right. With on other shows and stuff like that, where you get that dresser or you get that chair that antique item yeah that looks really you cool know, and you somebody don't know was, exactly where you're gonna put it in your house somebody threw it out on the on the curb to go to the you know, dumpster dump, or something yeah. and, and you you're like i cool. can fix that up yep you're gonna want to reconsider some of that yes, perhaps maybe. right perhaps you're like why is this thing perfectly good yes. and they're just getting rid of it mm. there's a reason something a reason yeah. what do you have tonight i have an unsolved murder mystery from 1922 and I've seen the pictures, and it's creepy. It is creepy. So absolutely. You ready to jump in? Let's do it. All right. Awesome. So mine first, my story first is from InputMag.com. And this is the story, the finally the truth behind the haunted Dybbuk box can be revealed. So a Dybbuk box is basically where they take, it's it's from the Jewish um Community basically where they take a demon and they trap it in this thing, right? Okay. And I'll, I have some pictures and I'll explain as we go. So, um, the cursed cabinet inspired a Hollywood film and spooked Post Malone as well. Now, the man who first sold it on eBay in 2003 is coming clean, so he's trying to say one thing, okay? And he's kind of going, I don't know if he's just trying to get rid of some stuff, right? Okay. Some bad juju or something, maybe. Like that. Back in 2001, Kevin Manis was out visiting yard sales looking for supplies for his furniture restoration restoration business, a, a hole-in-the-wall shop located at the base of the Burnside Bridge in Portland, Oregon. The story goes that he purchased an old, old wine cabinet from, his, uh, from the granddaughter of a recently deceased Holocaust survivor named Havela, who escaped Nazi-occupied Poland. Havela's parents, brothers, sisters, husband, two sons, and a daughter were all killed. Oh. She, with other survivors, fled to Spain and lived there until the end of the war. When Havela, who lived to 103, immigrated to the U.S., the wine cabinet was, was only one of three items she brought with oh, her. Oh, wow. And I'll show you real quick. I'm going to put this up here. This is the Dybbuk box in in this situ in this story. This is a very famous Divic box. As Manus paid for the cabinet, Havela's granddaughter granddaughter said, I see you bought the Dybbuk box. Manus wasn't familiar with the term. The granddaughter told him her grandmother always kept it shut out of reach and out of reach because of the Dybbuk 
there was a Dybbuk. In Jewish folk- folklore, an evil, restless spirit that possesses the living inside of it. The seller purportedly told Vanus that it was never to be opened, and if it was, bad things would happen. He did not heed the warning. Uh-uh. Manus, who was in his mid-30s at the time, took the box back to his shop with plans to restore it and give it to his mother for her birthday. After opening the cabinet, he found a series of strange objects inside. Two U.S. wheat pennies dating to 1925 and 1928. Two locks of hair, a dried rosebud, a four-legged candlestick, a golden wine cup, and a granite sculpture inscribed with a Hebrew word, Shalom. The Shema, a prayer considered to be one of the most important in Judaism, was carved on the back of the cabinet. Manus gave the box to his mother, Ida, on Halloween. In a 2012 interview on the TV series Paranormal Witness, Ida describes feeling a cold breeze from the box as she opened its doors, then experiencing pure evil come out of it. She said she immediately had a stroke. Oh, shit. Over the course of two years, a number of other mysterious events befell Manus and those around him. His sister got creeped out by the cabinet because the doors kept opening on their own. His brother and his sister-in-law complained of odd smells coming from the box, like cat urine and jasmine. Interesting. Right? Manus and his siblings suffered from the same recurring nightmares of an old woman with sunken eyes. And most disturbingly, he says, the brother of a store employee died by suicide shortly after visiting the shop and knocking the cabinet off the shelf. Oh, man. A couple of years later, the worker himself also took his own life. Oh, wow. Manus at one point tried to give the box to his then girlfriend, but after keeping it for a time, she forced him to take it back. Then he began seeing what he later described as shadow things in his peripheral vision. Listing it on eBay in 2003, Manus, who has a background in writing, advertising, and in entertainment, wrote a very long and detailed produ- uh, product description in which he dubs the item a Dybbuk box. Manus, Manus's eBay listing details how he got it, the strange things that happened to, his, to him and his family afterwards, and why he wants to get rid of it. Toward the end of the description, he writes, Help me. Since then... The Dybbuk box has captured the popular imagination becoming the stuff of the internet legend and commerce. You can, you can buy Dybbuk boxes of all shapes and sizes on Etsy and eBay. We've talked about that in the past, like haunted items. I did the mirror story, right? right. There's, you can go out and you can find things, right? I mean, some people like that stuff, mm-hmm. but they have a healthy respect for it, hopefully. Hopefully, right? So, and a website specific, there's a website specifically dedicated to them, the Dybbuk box store. You can even watch people open Dybbuk boxes on YouTube. In 2011, a subsequent owner of Manus's box, Jason Haxton, released a book about the box. The director of the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville, Missouri, Haxton had studied American antiques and, and, uh, and ancient artifacts for decades and was fascinated by the mysterious wine cabinet. In his book, he detailed what befell him, everything from bleeding eyes to random choking attacks to, yes, recurring dreams of a creepy old woman in the first few months after buying the box. In 2012, the most prominent of three movies about the Dybbuk box, The Possession, produced by filmmaker Sam Raimi, was released. Both Manus and Haxton were production consultants on the film. 
They were the two owners of the box. <clears throat> they were the prior owners, okay. yeah. Or the current and the prior. Right. In the, in the Entertainment Weekly article published around the same around the time of the movie's release, director Ole Bornendahl claims that really weird things happened during production. He describes standing underneath an unlit neon light that randomly exploded and says that days after five days after shooting wrap, all of the props from the film were destroyed in a mysterious fire. Over the past five years, Dybbuk has re- Dybbuk fever has hit an all-time high thanks to one famous ghost hunter, Zach Baggins, mm-hmm. the host of the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventure show and its slew of spinoffs. In 2016, Haxon sold the box to Baggins for some neither party is willing to reveal. That year, Baggins featured both Manus and Haxon on an episode of Ghost Adventures, Deadly Possessions. We watched this mm-hmm. during lockdown, right? Yep. Also known as Ghost Adventures Artifacts in which he brings the box to his haunted museum in Las Vegas. We've seen it. Yes. Under the case, though. Remember, yeah. it, was it was in, in a another specific, case. Yeah, yeah, very thick glass. Right. If you guys, I, it's still there. You yeah. can go to the haunted museum in Las Vegas, and I recommend if you go to Vegas, you yeah. go check out his. And also during the, uh, the, the, the time we were all shut down, I'm blinking on what you Pandemic. Actually, yes, thank you. The pandemic. He actually opened the Divic box. We're going to talk about that too. here. Yeah. So yeah. So this is what this is the inside. These are the items that were found inside of this particular Divic box, right? Okay. So, um, going into this, he brought his brought it to Las Vegas. Like I said, today is one of the museum's highlights, mm-hmm. touted as the world's most haunted object. Last year, the now forty four year old Baggins opened the box on an episode of Ghost Adventures Quarantine. Mm-hmm. He supposedly heard it say "Kevin," referring to uh, referencing Manus and Evil. Then heard a child's voice. The show captured on camera. What Baggins and his crew claimed was a figure that manifested inside the box, and you can go out and you can search Watch these. It. And I'll I'll put the links in the com or in the uh, show description t- um, once we post this. The highlights of the episode, however, at least from the media standpoint, was security camera footage of Baggins and his friend, the musician Post Malone, touching the closed Dybbuk box prior to Baggins opening it. Okay, so technically Malone didn't touch the box. It goes on to say. But here's the picture from the actual show. And Baggins had his hand on Malone like this and then was touching the box. Right. Right. Like that. So to give you kind of an example, Baggins had his hand on it, but the bad vibes supposedly transferred to the musician. In an ensuing months, his private plane was forced to make an, an emergency landing. His San Fernando Valley home was broken into. This is post Malone's mm-hmm. and his car. He was even involved in a car accident incidents. He would later talk about in Seth Meyers late night show. Of course, over the years, there have been plenty of skeptics, right? Of course, there's always, always. skeptics to everything, always. right? Right. Various reports, including 2004 Los Angeles Times story. And this 2012 riverfront times piece have cast doubt on the legend of the Dybbuk box <clears throat> in a 2019 skeptical inquirer magazine writer, uh, Call, it was in a column from the Skeptical, Skeptical Inquirer. Writer Kenny Biddle dismisses the haunted wine cabinet as a hoax, as proof Biddle posts a screenshot of the Facebook post from Manus, dated October of 2015. <clears throat> this is where he goes in to say, I am the original creator of the Dybbuk box, which appeared as one of my eBay posts back in 2003. The idea that Dybbuk boxes have some kind of history prior to my story and the idea that a Dybbuk box could contain anything other than a Dybbuk along with any deviation to the type of contents I created to be found inside of the Dybbuk box is laughable at best. 
because he's saying he created all. He's backtracking. Right? Yeah, but this was from a post from 2005. Right. Or three or whatever I said. Yeah, 2000, um, 2015, yeah. Right. But he's since been on the show. On the, right. Ghost Adventures, right? So um, he goes on to say, how about this? If you or anywhere else can find any reference to a Dybbuk box anywhere in history prior to my eBay post, I'll pay you $100,000 and tattoo your name on my forehead. I'd personally never heard of the Dybbuk box until February when I was interviewed. Uh, this is the author of this article saying that interviewed a paranormal investigator for a podcast I'm creating. So again, it goes into saying, was this Kevin Manis that created this right. or is this a real thing? Right. Like, did he really buy it at a garage sale and was told all these things and did his mom have these strokes? So what do you think? There are haunted items, things out Absolutely. there, right? Where you see in but here's so there's if you two, believe in it, there's right? two I trains mean, I don't of thoughts. So where did he come up with a very specific story about where he bought it from and what she said and who it belonged to and the travesties that that woman went through? Or and so that you know makes it. And legit. how are there multiple people having? Well, then the second thought is: is did he cook up this idea in his head and? thought this stuff into existence as he made the box and it became an evil item object that way. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that it's an evil object. I think it's just depending upon truth. Like all of the intention and truth, the, you know, like attention to right. that item. Well, you, you can make it. bad things happen. Yeah. You can put evil things into something if you are thinking about them it's enough the, as he builds this. Like, was he perhaps building this box with the intention of saying, oh, I'm going to make the greatest story about this box. I'm going to make some good money on it. And here's what bo the box has been through and what it does. And now you've manifested that. It's a creepy way to think about it. It's kind of, I mean, I, it, what came to mind there for a second, it's like you can play really, get a plant, and, and you can play really good music I wonder for this if plant, you paid anybody, it'll thrive, yes. you can yell at that plant, and it'll and die. It'll die. Right? Um, it's a weird kind of thing, right? And I wonder if he ended up paying anybody 100000 because I'm sure somebody was probably able to find a divot box outside of his a supposed yeah, creation I don't think it's, it's not of the, the box. Only one, no, no. Right? He, so. It's, I mean, I'm glad you think so highly of yourself, but come on now. I don't know. So you go on to say, you know, it's just, again, it's picking up, like when you're in an antique store and they say, don't ever open this item. Probably heed that. Heed that or don't buy it. Right. Or just be prepared for crap to happen. <laughs> you never know. Again. I mean, I kind of think it's weird that he gave it to his mom after she said, don't open it. Oh, okay. Here, mom. Happy birthday. Open it. It's got some creepy things in it. Yeah. It's got some random hair, you know, candle. What, what was on it? Hair, candle, gold. Yeah. Like, are you going to leave the hair and candle in there for your mom? Right. I mean, what was she like? Oh, thank you for this random people's hair. Yeah. Two, two pieces of hair, two bundles of hair. Two, yeah. You know, I don't know. So again, a, a, an interesting kind of story. These are out there. You, again, you can go out and you can do your own homework on these. It's always fun to do homework on them. But I think about like purchasing old furniture. There's a lot of intent. There's a lot of life history into mm -hmm. that. It, furniture can outlive people. Oh, and it's gone through you know, so much centuries. Stuff. And, through so much stuff. You think about furniture that went through the Civil War. Right. And people or may have... Or silverware or whatever Or people may have things. laid on it, mm -hmm. you know, as, uh, as they passed away or bled on it because they had to get an arm amputated. I mean, there's... So much... So yeah. much energy 
that probably happens in the things that we don't think about because right. we don't think about things that way. Right. Absolutely. You know? So this one, I think we're going to tag team a bit, right? Your story? Because it's um, pretty long. Are you good? How about I'll start and if I get too tired, I'll let All you right, read. Because this one's a good one. This one's a good one. It's an intense one. And we've got a whole bunch of pictures and yes. stuff to share with this one. So let me get that, get those. I would say away. let's save those until afterwards. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Just need to get them cued. Yep. So again, um, I, I'm on, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Hannah Titty. Okay. I don't know how you Titty, Tidy, T-I-D-Y. T-I-D-Y. Yeah. Um, and she is an author that does real stories. She captures real stories. Okay. And then she puts them in the books. This one is called Horror Stories, Terrifying Real Stories of the True Horror and Chilling Murders. All right. So. So this one's a little darker. This one's really. Yeah. Well, I say that. It's. I'd heard of this story before. Really? Yeah. Um, on a podcast, I heard about it. I had never seen it. Seen the photos from or it. Or even the, seen the story anywhere before okay. Before I found Hannah's. Okay, cool. Um, so this one is called, the story is actually called The Farm Straight from Hell. And um, it, it, Yeah. Like, oh, so, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, Buckle up. And it's going to make you think, like, if you hear things bump in the night mm. in your house, like we always hear creaking up here, it's like, well, well okay, what was that? Um, on a quiet night on March 31st, 1922, in a small, unassuming farmstead between the Bavarian towns, and I'm going to get these names wrong. I'm just going to put that out there now. That's fair. A uh, small Bavarian town of Ingolstadt and Schronbenhausen, okay. Schronbenhausen um, which are about 70 kilometers uh, north of Munich. One of the most terrifying and mysteriously unsolved murders in Germany's chilling took uh, Chillingly took place. So this is in Germany, 1922. All right. Was this the work of the devil or someone who seemed to do his evil bidding? On that quiet evening, different darkness descended on the small farmhouse uh, called Hinton. Hint. I told you I was going to be able to say this name. Hintern Kfek. Hinter Kfek. And tragically, there was no one around that night to hear the horrified screams and agonizing suffering of the victims. Piercing screams unanswered in the cold night air, together with the ominous, ominous thud of the mattock, which is a German pickaxe, uh, the impact fatal on human skin and bone, and the unknown killer brutally and systematically slaughtering all the inhabitants one by one. So, with a pickaxe? Yes. Come on. Right? I mean, um, so th these like were the my, only no, terrible like sounds. Jason kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it gets better. Hold on. These were the only <laughs> terrifying sounds that night in the, in the farmstead. After right. that, a haunting silence for the next few days. The unfortunate family who lived on the farm were the Gerbers. Andreas, who was 63, was the farmer and husband of Kazila, 72, and the father of their widowed daughter, Victoria Gable, who was 35, who was the official owner of the farm. Uh, Victoria lived with her mother and father on the farmstead, along with her two younger children, Kazilia, who was seven, and Joseph, who was two. On that terrible and mysterious night, uh, they also had a new maid. Talk about bad luck. Um, Maria Baumgartner, mm, yeah. ba 44, who arrived at the household a only a few hours before and was also an unfortunate victim in the slaying. Oh, come on. Yeah. Um, that's just bad. I mean, timing. yeah, like right. Oh, I could have missed my 
I mean, if I just would have started a day later. Day later. Yeah. Uh, Andreas Gruber and the entire Gruber family were known to be quite well off in the area, but not particularly well liked amongst the townspeople. The family lived a considerable distance outside of town with the farmstead quietly hidden within the forest, and they were known by the village to be reclusive and mostly kept to themselves. The home was far off from their nearest neighborhood. Uh, but the lives of the Gruber family were also still a much talked about topic in the town. Andreas regularly beat his wife and also had a long history of being brutal and maltreating of his children in the past. Okay. Victoria was the only surviving child of her, hus- of her father's cruel punishment and parenting style. None of her other siblings survived the vicious beatings. But amongst all this old talk and scandal, the moral reason that genuinely shocked the sensibility of the townspeople and affected how they felt towards this family was the alleged abusive relationship between Andreas and his only daughter, Victoria. It goes into that in a little bit more. But uh, this practice was illegal, but unfortunately still fairly commonplace in rural towns like theirs. Um, This is, I was laughing because I kept saying this name totally wrong, but Lorenz Schultzenbacher, a neighboring farmer, officially admitted that he was the father of young Joseph that was not enough to quell the rumors and hush the talk that Victoria's young son was from the ancestral fruit or was the ancestral fruit ancestral fruit of an illicit relationship between Victoria and her father. Andreas also said to to be obsessed with Victoria and sternly forbade her from even talking about getting remarried after she became a widow. But like a true lady of good stock, despite all the talk and rumors uh, mongering in town, Victoria held herself above the malicious fray and often attended church services. She even became an active member of the church choir with her beautiful singing voice. After some time, the community eventually accepted Victoria. She had her place despite her family background because of her steadfast devotion to the church and constant attendance at service. But back at the farm, things started to take a slow, ominous turn for the worst. One day, the Gruber household maid quit her job and requested to leave almost immediately. The maid stated she no longer wanted to work in the home because of the strange sounds and voices she heard, as well as footsteps echoing from the empty attic. Convinced that there was a haunting in the house, she no longer felt safe staying there. Witnesses stated that the maid was pale and emaciated when she left, looking as if though she'd gone through a rough number of pure nights of pure horror. Hmm. Um, the Grubers did not take the maid's story seriously and even believed that she must have been mentally disturbed. About six months later, another strange and mysterious occurrence materialized at the farm. Andres Gruber was outside in the farm making rounds and walking in the front yard uh, near the woods when he discovered odd-shaped footprints in the snow. He followed the strange tracks until he reached the main house and saw that the footprints led directly to his front door. <laughs> Andres was quite concerned at this point because he looked over all the property and did not find any other prints leading from the house back out to the forest. So all in, nothing out. Yep. He thought frantically that perhaps an intruder was inside the home and was, su- and, uh, I'm sorry, was intruder was inside the house, someone who had come walking through the woods on this cold night. Andres searched and searched in vain all over the house, but did not find any strange people on the premises with nothing out of place or missing. Andre settled down to an uneasy sleep that night, still unable to figure out where the strange footsteps might have come from and who had made them while entering his house. I'm getting hot. Sorry. That's always something you got to be like, what the, well, and it probably was, uh, 
if they were so far up, there weren't local police, so he couldn't just go to them and be like, "Hey, I'm like, yeah, I found these like, strange footsteps." With this on your own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're like, I'm searching that whole house with yeah. a pickaxe in my hand, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> if I don't have a gun or something, I'm just saying. Yeah. So later that same night, Andreas was awoken by a strange and unexplained noise coming from the attic. He remembered what the previous maid said about the sounds and voices in the attic. Andres decided then and there to check for himself to see who was making the strange noises, but he did not find anything in the attic. Andres could barely fathom what was happening by that time. He felt that he could also be losing his mind. What were these odd yeah. noises and strange footprints that he saw earlier? Were they just in his head? Was it, it, it was as if an intruder had come in from the forest, entered their home, and simply disappeared into thin air. Or your attic. Right. Where you're hearing all this stuff from, right? Wouldn't it have been creepy if he found like wet feet marks like going? And then, I like, don't think it's any creepier than the snow marks into the front door and then nothing. Yeah. You know, that's pretty creepy. Yeah. All right. The next morning, the strange occurrences continued with a vengeance. Andre found a newspaper on his front porch that had never been seen before and no one in his household recognized it. Later that day, he walked by the tool shed out back and was confused to see multiple scratches and deep cuts on the door as if someone was trying to break into the shed. Hmm. By that time, the strangest of what was happening finally got to him, and he talked with his nearest neighbor about the strange events happening at the farm. The neighbors also shared that Andres casually mentioned to them that his own set of house keys recently went missing. Crestfallen, the neighbors recounted to the authorities after the massacre that the loss of the keys uh, con con uh, coincidentally happened a few days before the tragedy that befell the family. Sadly, no one reported these incidents to the authorities before the savage attack on the unknowing family. On the fatal day, on the fatal and tragic day of March 31st, 1922, <laughs> a new maid, Maria Baumgarten, 44, was on her way to the Gruber household to begin her first day of work. Maria would never know that while she cheerfully reported for work that day, she was probably so in just happy. a few hours of her stepping in the threshold of the cursed farm, Maria would be savagely murdered for being in the wrong place at the wrong possible time. Yeah. She's probably so happy. I got a job at this big, right. beautiful house. And I've got a roof over my head yep. and um, they're going to pay me and all this great stuff. Yeah. Four days after the fateful day on April 4th, the Gruber absence was palpably felt and finally noticed in a town, uh, in the town, and the townspeople were starting to worry about the family and their new maid. Victoria's youngest daughter, Kazilia, was not showing up for her classes at school, and Victoria herself had not been attending church, was very, which was very unlike her. The postman in town also noticed that their mail was unclaimed as well. Something was amiss. A few townsfolks decided to check the Gerber farm to check in on them and make sure they were safe. When the group of concerned citizens knocked on the door and called out for them, no one answered. A search of the property and by the, and the nearby forest did not produce anything beyond normal either. Okay. The townsfolks also noted that the air at the farm on that terrible day was stale and eerily quiet. The barn was the last building checked. The townspeople opened the door and met with the horrific sight, the most horrific sight ever imagined. On the floor of the old barn, lying in a gruesome pool of their blood, laid the lifeless bodies of Andreas, his wife, his daughter, and his youngest granddaughter. Their bodies were positioned in the middle of the barn and covered in hay. So the killer, after he killed covered them, them covered them. Bury him. He just covered them in hay. Yeah. Right. Uh, and huh. you look at the pictures in a minute, and he mostly just covered their heads. 
<clears throat> um, I did kind of see that. Yeah. 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 In- weird. Interesting. Right. Um, the Gruber family appeared to have been systematically lured into the barn one by one and brutally attacked as they innocently entered to face their untimely death. As horrifying as the scene in the barn was, what was even more painfully apparent to those who were witnessed on that terrible day was the sight of the dead little girl with clumps of her hair torn out of her scalp. Wait, it's, you'll find out why. Okay. They could only deduce that she had been alive long enough after the attack on her to witness the scene in the barn straight from hell that unfolded in front of her innocent eyes. Oh, man. Uh, upon discovering the bodies in the barn, the town folks began to search for the new maid frantically and the little boy in case they were still alive and needed help. But they were tragically found in the farmhouse and suffered the same evil fate as the others. The little boy Joseph laying on top of his bed in Victoria's bedroom and the maid Maria was found dead in her bedroom. It was apparent that both the maid and the little boy had also lost enormous amounts of blood. On that fateful and tragic day, it was confirmed by all those presents that all six members of the farm had been brutally murdered in cold blood. Yeah. The townspeople immediately called the authorities, and a few hours later, police offered uh, uh, the police officers from the Munich Police Department arrived. Inspector George Rubiger was the leader of the team in charge of the murder investigation. The police team initially suspected that the real motive for the murders was a robbery, and they proceeded to interrogate suspicious-looking people from the nearby village, as well as transient merchants and even beggars in the vicinity. But that robbery theory was laid to rest when a significant sum of money was quickly discovered in the house during the investigation, and all other family valuables remain intact as well. Yeah, there's no so, jewelry yeah, stolen. Nothing was taken. A bunch of cash. Yeah. A thief would have found that large sum of money quickly and yeah. would have made off with the family heirlooms if that was the wrong. And then they were to hightail it out of that little exactly. area. Exactly. Or that they wouldn't be they staying wouldn't in the village drinking to get beers interviewed. Right. or whatever and being like, oh, look at all my newfound riches. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, during the ongoing police investigations... Authorities discovered that a few weeks before the hellish night at the farm, Victoria completely emptied her bank account. She even borrowed Mm. some additional funds from her half-sister to serve as seed money for investing in the farmstead. Victoria also surreptitiously donated a 700 gold mark in the church confessional. When the parish priest traced the amount back to her as the secret donor, she told the police at uh, the police, the priest to keep the money for missionary work. Cool. During the investigation, the police did not know if it was related to the murders, but the sizable withdrawal from Victoria's bank account was never accounted for. Was that the money at the house or was it not? Mm-hmm. Another theory in criminal motive the investigators played around with was possibly the murder being a crime of passion. The police widely speculated that Victoria's former ardent suitor, a man by the name of uh, Lorenz Schultzenbar, had a plausible motive to want the Gerber family dead. It was widely talked about in town that he could be young Joseph's true father. The majority believed that this was not so and that Joseph was the, pro- like the again, through the, 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 yeah. the, the dad's son. Um, when the police interrogated this man, he confessed that he knew about Andreas and Victoria's illicit and illegal relationship and was disgusted by it. The motive was that the sordid incestual relationship must have enraged the love-struck man, and he retaliated by killing the entire family, even his alleged son, yeah. young Joseph. The police persisted in following up on this particular murder uh, motive involving the suspect, but they were unable to find evidence to support their claim. The police leads were all turning up with dead ends and steadily starting to grow cold. 
so they couldn't. There's just nowhere to go. There wasn't, they couldn't figure they couldn't out. Put him there. They didn't have. I mean, they got to think of this 1922, right? Or whatever, 23 or whatever, right? 22, 22. And I mean, you don't have like forensic. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, well, maybe no. Could they do finger, fingerprint they analysis prob- back? I mean, not via computer, obviously, but like I, you know, or, I don't know. I don't know. Like, how? Because I'm thinking like the pickaxe could have had fingerprints on it. I don't know. So like, how would you even know who to look I'm, for? I keep. Picturing um, what was uh, Robert Downey Jr. What was that movie? Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. Yeah, I was on about this that kind too. of a thing. Like, right? have we ever seen him do? Yeah, I just try, you know, it's like it's 1922. It was a right. different time. Yep. You know, they did so. not have things that we have today. Yeah. Uh, the day after the horrible discovery of the murders at the farm on April 5th, 1922, the court physician, Dr. John Baptiste uh, Mueller, performed all the medical autopsies in the barn of the farmstead. The physician established that a farm tool such as a hatchet or German pickaxe was a logical murder weapon. Each victim was killed the same way with a single and forceful blow to the head. The way the murderer used the hatchet determined that through the murder was very precise. It only killed with one blow, but there were a lot of hatred in each swing of the hatchet. So when he, yes, when he swung, he swung hard. Because the heads of the victim had all split open with the impact, but the bodies were untouched. Whoever the murderer was, that's they were very comfortable too. using the hatchet. Yeah, yeah that's like pre- like that's like a baseball. Like yeah. you play baseball, right? Yeah, and you swing a bat. And did they come from behind them then? Because I did, that's what I'm trying to think. Like, how do you? I mean, kill I guess if you don't expect people, somebody to do it, and you come up to front, and all of a sudden they're like how do you kill six people? Head? And it's with one strike each, right? Like know. if you're if they're in the bed, yeah, okay pretty easy like, right dang, right but you go like the other people maybe they were awake they weren't in bed they were out in the barn, they were, in the barn. Or they they were wherever they barn. were murdered yeah so the autopsy showed that all hmm. the victims died instantly Insane. except for the little girl and daughter of victoria casilia the terrified little girl survived for several hours after the single blow to her head. It's unimaginable to think of what was going through her mind during those ter- terrible hours. Whatever her thoughts were, they were her- horrifying enough to cause her to pull out tufts of her own hair from her scalp while the life seeped out of her oh body on the gosh. barn floor. So that's why she had several bald spots because she was probably pulling on her hair. Probably her, her head hurt. Her head probably- hurt and she was scared. Um, the police spent several... Oh, that's sad. Yes, the police spent many days investigating the crime scene, concluding that an intruder must have figured out a way to lure them out of the house and into the barn one at a time over a series of hours. Police thought the first two victims would have been Victoria and her mother, Cazelia, because they were in their evening clothes and their deaths were probably earlier in the evening than the rest. The killer then proceeded to the farmhouse to finish off the little boy and Maria, the maid. Uh, the murder covered all the bodies with some sort of material. The bodies in the barn were all covered with hay. Joseph's mother's skirt covered him, and the bed sheet covered the maid, Maria. The strange show of delayed courtesy and false modesty for the dead bodies points towards a theory that the killer had some sort of emotional bond or connection with the victims and covering them up uh, to hide what he had done, or they had done. Yeah, he was ashamed or something, kind of something guilty, like yeah. that, guilt. Yeah. Another another bizarre occurrence to add to the already convoluted murder mystery was that the neighbors witnessed on the weekend right after the murder, the, de- the date of the death was determined March 31st, and it was four days before anyone discovered the bodies at the farm. However, neighbors claimed to have been seeing smoke coming out of the chimney on the last two days. 
The animals on the farm were well fed. The family dog was tied in the barn That's unharmed true. with food and family. I mean, with food and water. Nothing indicated the animals had gone almost a week without food. Police also found a bed in the farmhouse showing signs of recently being slept in, meaning that after murdering the victims, the killer stayed around for a few days, unbothered by the cover of corpses in the vicinity. The murderer possibly slept in the house and even cooked food as the neighbors claimed to see smoke from the chimney. The, so we had a fire going. He and had stuff. stuff like that. Yep. yep. And he had, slept he in a bed. Taking care. Maybe he was just a transient dude going through and he's like, I'm going to live the life for a couple days. I don't but know. I kill six people to do it. But then why would he have cared and covered them up? But why wouldn't he have taken the money? I mean, there's just so many unanswered questions. So throughout the years, the police have questioned a hundred or so murder suspects and even employed clairvoyance to try and figure out what happened at the farm. If the murderer made noises in the attic that first made heard before she left, that meant the killer would have been in the attic for over six months before the actual murders occurred. Oh my God. That's crazy, right? That's creepy AF. There's other stories out there. You can go search. Where, and I think you've got one coming up in the next couple weeks or so, right? It's like the dude in the attic. Oh, no, this is that one. Or this, okay, this yeah. is that attic yeah. one. Okay, but there's, there's other ones that I've seen. It's like more um, current day. Yeah. Where like you look Dave. up in your vent and you see like an eyeball. Yeah. And you're see like, somebody watching you and you're like, get the hell dude, out right I'm now. I'm shooting my ceiling at that point. No, I'm getting the hell out. No, I'm shooting my ceiling. No, I'm calling the police. <laughs> you shoot, I'm out. I'm calling the police. I don't know. I mean, I'm like, what else do you do? I don't know. Right. I don't know. Then, Whoa. just a little bit more. Then, Sorry. right after the brutal murders, the killer would have had the audacity to stay for almost a week, a very much at home in an unfortunate household. He was very comfortable there because yes. he knew it, probably knew it inside and out, right? Well, this is what's crazy. The case has been continuously reopened in 1996 and most recently again in 2007. Hmm. However, all the evidence always ends up leading to a dead end in this very cold case. Uh, the farm was demolished the year after the tragedy as the town folk did not want a remaining reminder yeah. of, to them of the horrific events that took place that spring of 1922. A monument was erected nearby, the only symbol of the gruesome and bloody murders that took place at the farm. Only the ancient trees are left standing in the forest, the only things alive that played mute witness to what happened that horrible, gruesome night. Here's what's crazy. So when I was looking through some stuff and trying yeah. to get some information on it, I did find an article where they... Um, so they did say they brought clairvoyance in. It's, this is creepy, too, because what they okay. ended up doing um, says, after the investigation had been closed, the bodies of the Gerbers were sent for autopsies. The heads were removed and sent to clairvoyance in Munich to unearth uh, metaphysical clues. So they were trying anything at this point. They were trying to see if their clairvoyance could I get anything. I just picture anything. like a crystal ball and it's a head on the table. Right. Uh, right. The clairvoyance were, uh, were unsuccessful and to make matters worse, lost the heads during the turmoil caused oh by God. World War II. They lost the heads. The bodies of the family were eventually buried headless in a cemetery near town. Oh. Isn't that crazy? Dude. I know. I sent you some pictures. Yeah, you guys ready? Let's let's check out some pictures. They're a little brutal, so if you have youngsters, yeah, if, if you have kiddos yeah, watching, this mind. might be where uh, so you stop it for a little while. I'll share these out to the Castro files as well. <clears throat> if you're listening on one of the audio or the audio versions of this, um, oops, gotta click back on that so I can get this. There we go. So this is the family. This is the family the, minus the um, maid. Minus so the these maid. are five of the six. Yeah. And when you, if you really zoom in on this picture, like I, like I said, I'll post it out. Yeah. Um, 
It's a creepy picture mm-hmm. anyway, because pictures back in 1920 were kind of creepy, creepy anyway, right? Like you couldn't really see features. I mean, we're not talking like the 1800s, right. but yeah, like the dad's eyes are super. Well, dark. all of their eyes are yeah, dark, you know, because you can't just really make any features out. Right. So uh, then, the next one is very brutal. So, so this, this is, is the photo of the family covered up. This is two of them. Or two of them. Yeah, covered up. So these, yeah, not trying to be too brutal, but it's right. the reality of what right. happened. Right. They don't have pictures of the kids, which I think yeah, is smart. Yeah, thankfully, there's another picture. Somebody was covered up with some hay. Right. So I think that's the adults, the mom, the dad, and the daughter. Okay. Um, then the next picture is the maid's room. Okay. Where so she's that, lying. I, I didn't understand the picture when I looked at she's it She's lying on the floor. Oh. Do you see her between the, yep. by the bed? Yep. Absolutely. So she's lying on the floor, and then this... I didn't. Last one is the murder. There, and there was one of the room that they found the young man in, but I didn't want to put that in there. They didn't show him, but it okay. just showed the room, and I thought, that's okay. Nah. Oh, yeah. This is what the murder weapon would have looked like. Right. I don't know if so, this is the actual murder weapon or just an example of what it would have looked like. Fine. That's but, fine. Yeah. Dude. I mean, so there are stories like that. You know, what was the one? The, um, I don't know. I can't think of the name of it. But there's a real famous one where she murdered her family. Oh, uh... Can't think of it off the top of my Hatchet. head. Hatchet. Um, yeah. I wanted to say Molly Hatchet. But it was like something. <laughs> but something. I think that's I a band. But anyway, Molly Hatchet was a band. Yeah. But you're talking about the lady that a young lady that murdered her dad and stepmom. Yep. And then yeah, bashed her head. They, yeah. I don't know. It's just though that's what kind of came, da, 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 da. came yep. to mind on some of this. And you go, oh, dude, it's that's just creepy. such a brutal story. Um, there's more. Oh, there's there more. more. I'm sorry. Yep. So then there's oh, my bad. There we go. Oh, there and there's go. just the coffins. It's coffins on that with one, the so. headless bodies. Weird, right? Okay, so like, does that create its own haunt into itself? Well, the because, farm is like, gone. Well, I know, but the like, land. I mean, I'm sure there's something no, on the land now, but they don't. They're tell you buried what it is. without their heads. It's like the headless horseman kind of thing. Like, yeah, I, I just want my head. I'm hoping these people all just got to go to heaven after this grisly I hope murder. So too. Yeah, they deserved some. Even though good Dad outcome. was kind of like, I mean, no, Dad deserves maybe not he, to go to heaven. He, it, but it sounded like that was a normal occurrence. It was against the law. It was, they said it was unlawful. Unlawful, yeah. You're not and, allowed to sleep with your kids. But I guess. I that it was a common rule. occurrence is what the article said. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was a different. I don't. It was different, different times, times, but still not right. Yeah. No. No. By no means was it right. But so yeah. I mean, if anyone deserved it, maybe it was the dad, but nobody else did. Yeah. Especially well, he was kids. also beating all everybody. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and apparently he killed several of her siblings because his beatings were so ferocious. Yeah. That's, that's why he said she was yeah, the only he surviving. He didn't. Def- he definitely didn't. Yeah. To, he so, he kind of needed. It's the, still crazy that it's the unsolved. Um, the latest time, at least according to this article, when this is from 2020, or this story is from 2020, 2007 was the last time they tried. Yeah, but so, I mean, they, at a certain point, there's the, just The no property's gone now, so yeah. you don't have anywhere to go back to to try to try new type of, it's us, you know, forensic stuff. It's us just trying to figure yeah. out and think of new theories and yeah. stuff, and it's 100, it's 100 years ago. I mean, point, whoever so. did that, obviously, was a very... They thought very, it out. Very messed up person, you know. Messed so up and methodical. Hopefully, this was their only murder. But you never know, right? Highly unlikely. Probably. So. But. Awesome. Thank you, guys. That's what we got for you for tonight. Thanks so much. Thank you, babe. Thanks. Um, You can go out and check out the show. Give us a little bump on the uh, old thumbs up and then subscribe if you don't mind. Share the show. 
also that always helps. And yes. then you can find it on the Castro files. You can find it on Barbers Open. But also for the if you want to listen to these, you can go out to the go out to iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, all those places where you can listen. And it's going to be under the Barbers Open podcast. Barbers Open with Beth and Greg podcast. So yep. thank you very much. Thanks, babe. Next time, I think we're going to have some stories from New Hampshire. We're going to be on the road. Hopefully, Hopefully we'll have some cool stuff to talk about. Either way, we'll just kind of share some of our Our creepy stories. Absolutely. We got some creepy stuff planned for us. So, so. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Bye, guys. Have a great evening. See ya.